Today's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Warby Parker. Please visit warbyparker.com slash filmcast for your next pair of eyeglasses. That's warbyparker.com slash filmcast for your next pair of eyeglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanaza. And welcome back, Jeff and Devendra. It's a Slash Filmcast reunion, guys. We're back. And what better way to reunite than by discussing a film that brings together a whole bunch of misfits who are likely well past their prime, all of whom are working towards a common goal. With the Magnificent Three. <laughs> Our goal, of course, in this case, <laughs> is to review The Magnificent Seven, the new film uh, by director Antoine Fuqua, uh, which is a remake of the classic Magnificent Seven film by John Sturgis, which itself is an American remake of the Akura Kurosawa classic, uh, The Seven Samurai. So re-remake. It's a yeah. re-remake. Re-remake, exactly. Um, if you're just remake, doing- guys, come on. Three make. Mm. Three make. Mm, I like that. If you're just tuning into the Slash Filmcast for the first time, find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Today we're going to be uh, having a few announcements up top, then doing a Slash Film Court segment, some what we've been watching, and then concluding with our in depth review of The Magnificent Seven. So uh, that's what is in store for us today on the podcast. A uh, few announcements. Firstly, uh, I just wanted to make a, a cool, like, random-ass film uh, announcement that The Primary Instinct, which is a movie I directed uh, with a lot of Kickstarter help from Slash Filmcast listeners, uh, just won Best Documentary at the South Dakota Film Festival. Nice. Uh, Good job, so, David. Yeah. Congrats. So thanks for uh, everyone in South Dakota for hosting us and uh, really appreciate it. And uh, kind of weird and unexpected, this uh, award. In, so you, you know, have to th- move to South Dakota now. <laughs> that's right? right. That's right. Where I will be beloved by all. Yeah. Uh, the key to the city, Dave. <laughs> it is kind of an odd experience just because you know, a lot of our marketing and PR efforts are already over at this point. Uh, and the movie, for those who don't know, The Primary Instinct is available on Hulu. You can also buy it at theprimaryinstinct.com. But it, it, you know, it does go to show you that years after the primary push uh, for a movie is over. It can still find people, you know, and I know there's a lot of filmmakers in our audience who have made films and that maybe they didn't get the the audience they wanted the first time around. Uh, I guess, like, from my experience, sometimes it can just take many, many months, if not years, uh, for a film to continue to find its audience in the future. Mm So hold out hope and, uh, you know, just have faith that if you've created a good product that people will still eventually uh, continue to find it as time goes on. You think uh, you guys are going to conquer North Dakota? All the Dakotas. <laughs> we shall dominate the Dakotas. You're uh, huge in the Dakotas. <laughs> that's right. All right. Uh, also, uh, a few people have passed away uh, while we've been off the air, and I thought it'd be worth mentioning uh, because people who have made films that are incredibly beloved to the folks in the Slash Film cast, I'm thinking of uh, Curtis Hansen really passed, recently passed away. What a mm-hmm. shock. Uh, Insane, did yeah. not even know that he was in ill health 
Uh, and yeah, Curtis Hansen has made some uh, of my favorite films. Some uh, of the best movies ever made. Like, yeah, come on, yeah. L.A. Confidential. We got L.A. Confidential. We got oh, Wonder on. Boys. And yeah, you know, Wonder I was Boys a huge fan so of Eight Mile. You know, yeah. like that Eight Mile movie. still works. Eight Mile, yeah. It's the, it, ha- it has a song that everyone in the, in the country knows what it is. You know, um, I don't think is, enough people talk about Wonder Boys. It's yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, a great film that is like a meditation about uh, being a writer and kind of the the pitfalls and uh, the intensity that comes with that profession. Uh, it's it's a great film. And L.A. Confidential. Have you guys seen uh, the modern classic in her shoes? Which is actually a lot of fun. I, I would recommend I have not seen it. That. The no. Cameron Diaz and Tony Collette movie. It's the one where they kind of swap places. Uh, it looks like a terrible rom com, but Curtis Hansen just kind of elevates it to being something, you know, a little more interesting. Yeah, um, super talented guy. L.A. Confidential, probably the best example of how to take a uh, like a source material and create an amazing film out of it that does not adhere slavishly to the source material, mm-hmm. right? Uh, L.A. Confidential, amazing film, and uh, but like not really recognizable as uh, a straight adaptation of the James Elroy novel. So, uh, you know, really love this guy's work and uh, I'm really bummed to see him gone. Gene Wilder also uh, passed away a couple yeah. years ago. That was a little, that was a further while back, but yeah. still, it's, that one still hurts me too because... Yeah. I don't know. I grew up watching American all of his treasure. things. Yeah, his uh, his Willy Wonka will forever be in my heart, and I think he is the definitive one too. Like kids will be watching that forever. Yep, completely timeless film. Do you yeah. have a, fav- yeah. a favorite awesome. Gene Wilder performance or favorite Gene Wilder film? I, I, I mean, I think Willy Wonka is that movie, yeah. but certainly Young Frankenstein is right alongside it. Mm-hmm. Um, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. Yeah. yeah. Come on. All of his Richard Pryor ones, like even the not so great ones, like just him and Richard Pryor, like working together is so much fun to watch. One of the first films I can remember ever watching was the age inappropriate See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Movie where uh, Gene Wilder plays a deaf person and Richard Pryor plays a blind person. Yeah. And uh, they witness a murder and they need to uh, figure out a way to resolve the situation as what partners. A concept. Yeah. Man. Somebody yeah. pitched that. Somebody pitched that. Yeah. Not you sure know? how that would go over today in no. uh, a slightly more politically correct culture. <laughs> well, but... any of the movies he did with Richard Pryor <laughs> would not go over today. <laughs> exactly. How much have we lost, guys, over time? <laughs> but uh, anyway, Curtis Hansen, Gene Wilder, uh, titans of uh, of the film industry, and uh, they will be missed. And guys, like 2016 is taking everything away. Brangelina split up. Literally uh, moments before we started recording today, uh, Leah Schreiber and Naomi Watts announced that they were separating. I mean, um, 2016 will not yeah. rest until it has destroyed everything we care about. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that trend is continuing. Including a democracy, yes. Yeah, including the um, America. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of destroying things we care about, guys, and people just disregarding uh, sacred, sacred oaths, let's get to today's Slash Film Court. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Slash Film Court is a relatively new segment where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. If you want to write in with your Slash Film Court Dilemma, always write in to us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And this one this week, guys, is a classic. And this I, may I, be our most difficult one yet. I wanted to – actually, I was going to do this last week because this person wrote in over a week ago. And mm-hmm. uh, I really like this email because it's one that every one of us has gone through. 
Uh, and, but I, I really wanted to wait until the old gang, Jeff, you, you were back with us before we get to this, because I have a feeling you'll have a pretty good answer for this. Uh, so, this week's Slash Film Court, uh, as usual, the person shall rena- remain nameless, uh, but I will probably read... But their this. deeds will go down <laughs> in infamy. That's, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, I'll just say this email comes in from someone whose first name begins with M. All right? So, here okay. we go. Mom? M writes in, hello, I'm a long-time listener. Uh, wanted to let you guys know I love the new segment and love the podcast. I have a confession to make, and I would love to hear all of your opinions on the matter. My wife and I had our first child on December 2nd, just a few weeks before The Force Awakens opened in theaters. Both of us are huge Star Wars fans, and we knew there was no way either of us would be able to see it during the theatrical run since the baby was so young. So we made an agreement to wait until the digital release to watch it together at home. One day, I showed up to work on a day that I actually had off, uh, and also, I worked next to a movie theater. So I decided, since I was already out and my wife thought that I was at work, to go see the film. I have been filled with guilt ever since, and I feel as if I actually cheated on her. The worst part is that I pretended like I didn't see it when it finally came out on iTunes and we watched it together. (laughs) Am I a bad person? Have any of you ever done anything like this? Hope you guys can help me with this one. Thanks. Love the podcast. That email oh, comes this, in from this M. Is a, this is a sticky wicket. This right. is a sticky wicket. This is a. This is something that I'm sure we've all encountered, which is you make some kind of blood oath with a significant other or someone you care about. Doesn't have to be a girlfriend or a wife. It could be you know a husband or, or a boyfriend, but it could also be like a parent or a sibling. We're not going to watch something unless we watch together. Uh, and then, uh, so that that's kind of one mm-hmm. element of it is. Making that pact in the first place, right? I like that, this is one element of old school Netflix, uh, the the mail in order Netflix, known as DVD adultery, right? And now it's uh, it's, it's it applies to everything, right? Right. We just to say like when you would get a DVD in and you'd say yeah. we're not going to watch this DVD unless we watch together, right? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, you can apply it to anything, even movies that are out theatrically. So so there's that element of you know making that promise to each other. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And then separately, this person has lied to their wife, the mother of their child. Mm-hmm. This person has lied to them and not only omitted the fact that they saw the film in theaters, but then when the movie came out on iTunes, pretended that they'd never seen the movie. So they're in real deep. Like you, It's yeah. not just one yes. lie. You know, it's, it's, a, multiple. it's a web of lies. It's a web it's of a, lies that they are now caught yes. in. A complicated tapestry of it. deceit. That's yes. right. Correct. Correct. So the question is, let, let's take these piece by piece. I think you have to. Yes. I think you have to take <laughs> them as two different transgressions. I agree. I agree. So... Let's start with uh, the idea of making a promise to someone and then and then violating that promise. Like, what what do you think of this, Jeff Kanata? You know, <laughs> just have you ever made this promise, and and how have you approached the situation? I have made this promise, uh, and I would say also I want to add this perspective. I've been on the other side of this email. Mm-hmm. I myself have been have walked in and seen. My significant other in a compromising situation with a piece of media. In flagrante delicto, as <laughs> yeah, they say. I, I was almost going to yes. say that, but I knew I was going to mess it up. <laughs> uh, and it's, it, it hits you in a way that you didn't think you could handle before it happens. But you're, you know what? You're stronger than you think. 
uh, it's it's a hard thing when you find out that your significant other has 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 watched the thing that you were so looking forward to watching together, and they sometimes play it off like it's no big deal, like. Oh no! It was just it was on, and so I decided to get it. Or um, I didn't think you'd care, and it's like no, but we clearly made this pact. It's a hard thing. Uh, I understand. I can understand wanting to see it. I can understand being worried about spoilers, and you know, the whole culture is watching The Force Awakens. But you, sir, you made a solemn oath to the woman you love. If you can break that oath. What other oaths can you break? Mm. I, 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 mm. it, it, it hurts me because I've been <laughs> on the other side of that. I can relate. But let me just say this. Having said that, the second part of your transgression, you have to lie. You <laughs> Forever. Have Forever. To lie. Now. Yeah. Yes. You lie and you lie and you lie and you lie some more. You never, ever let her know. <laughs> so I say shame on you for the first part. But good on you for protecting her feelings. You just keep on lying and you try to sleep at night. And that is your punishment is the lies that you know you're bedding down with every night. Uh, so the, the rationale behind lying is so that she does not feel betrayed. The significant other does not feel betrayed. Right. Is that right? Now, you shouldn't have done it. I'm not saying you should do it. <laughs> but the only thing that coming clean will do at this point is make you feel better for not carrying around that guilt. But you earned that guilt. you got to have that guilt. <laughs> So you're saying, like, by disclosing the truth to his significant other, he's really just making himself feel better, right? Right, yes. and making it, her it's feel a, It's a selfish act, right? Exactly. Like just making, but, Jeff, um, let me ask you this question. What about the psychological damage of the secret eating away at this person for years and possibly decades? Like, that how do is, you... He, he made his bed when he walked into that theater. <laughs> but... but yeah, so, he'll, he'll think twice about doing any other sort of uh, transgression. Oh, so you're saying, like, it's worth having this horrible secret as a deterrent for other horrible acts. Yes. I'm okay. saying he shouldn't have done it in the first place. But once <laughs> you've crossed that line, now you've got to dance with the devil. But I, I have to ask you guys, I mean, even <laughs> if you make this pact, it's fucking Star Wars. I mean... I, I understand. Come on. Okay, okay. so, so Devendra, yeah. you weigh in on this. Have you, have you made a pact before? Do you, you and your wife yes. make yes. these we pacts? Do. We, I mean, generally we do. And it's nothing on the level of, like... Not seeing the biggest movie you know, of the year. <laughs> it's, it's not. So that's it's rough. not madness like this person. Right. If it's like right. Game of Thrones or something, like I may sometimes see an episode of Game of Thrones before she does because I'm up later. Not a big deal. Yeah, you know, we, we just kind of. And I don't mind rewatching it. Doing the theater thing is tough because then you can't just like both go to the theater because you have the baby and everything. Uh, it is. Uh, this is a rough situation, guys. Uh, I, I feel like the only. The only good solution for him was to like find a babysitter immediately and just like you know surprise the wife with a uh, with a date night or something. That's really the only way you could have fixed this. Well, gotcha. I mean, it's too late now. So, so, so you agree with Jeff though? Oh, oh, you're you're saying yes. you could have prevented this in a number of ways. Yes. But that yes. if you haven't prevented it, then you should continue to lie, right? Well, yes. guys, the, yeah. the baby was so new that you, there's no babysitter option. I mean, mm. I, I'm discovering that right yeah. now. So, uh, so there's we have, that. we have an expert but, here, right? But I think that what Devendra is saying is 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 this pact was like making a pact to not eat. Like yeah. I promise I won't eat yeah. without you. Yeah, it's I mean, like, oh. so so I, I'm going to differ. Slightly from you guys on this uh, in this case. I mean, since you have the majority, the two to one majority, whatever you decide is going to be the answer. But I- I'm just going to uh, submit my dissenting opinion on this, which is that this person M, the writer of this email to the slash from court, 
messed up at every conceivable step <laughs> on this path. Every conceivable path. Okay. Like a sitcom character. Let me let yeah. me start with let me submit to you step one that he messed up. Marrying someone who he would make this pact with. <laughs> okay? What? That was your first mistake. Because no, here's a, a little, no 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 no. Hey, you guys had your you guys had your say. All right. Now, mean, now let me have this let me have my say. <laughs> I think that in life you should choose a significant other who uh, values your experience. More than their own. And, and, and me, likewise, you know, when I am choosing someone, I will value their, you know, you want someone to be selfless. You, you both should be equally selfless, right? And so you want someone who will want you to go see this movie when you don't have work that day and work next to a movie theater. Uh, and likewise, like you want, you should be that kind of person as well. Uh, so that is that is my view on having a significant other and being married to someone. And so step one was, you know, so the, the official David Chen position <laughs> is your marriage is a sham. That's right. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. So that's that's step one. Step two is uh, you got to systematize this stuff, man. Like me and my significant other, we have a whole system where we have like a master list of stuff that we're going to watch together. And when things need to be removed from that list, it is done so with deliberation. And <laughs> there's, a, there's a subcommittee that it's formed. Yep. There's triplicate, we, we triplicate the review. Yep. And there's minutes and everything like that. And you say, Hey, um, I have this day off coming up. Can we officially remove force awakens from the list? You know, because I, I really want to see it. It's an opportunity <laughs> that I'm not going to get otherwise. I, I, I do feel like this removes the romance of the <laughs> promise. Like you've turned it into a spreadsheet, Dave. Mm. And that is mm. – it's nothing romantic about Some that. Some people – I, you I know, agree with Devendra. There's a beauty that the you're, – you're saying, oh, you should be selfless. But there's a beauty to saying we love each other so much that we're going to yeah. share this moment. And the first time we both watch this, this thing, we're, I'm going to be there with you and you're going to be there with me. And every time you think about this movie, you will think about that moment where we watched it together. And we will be inextricably tied for all times to our experience together watching this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, in theory, that works great, Jeffrey. In reality, uh, you end up with a situation where someone misses out on a once or twice or thrice in a lifetime opportunity to see one of the biggest films of all time in a theater with surround sound and amazing, you know, crystal clear quality as it was meant to be seen. Uh, and that in itself burns in its own way. You know, <laughs> that that in itself is uh, a, a, a downside. Right? I, I think that, that's that what should you're th- talking about selfless, though. Like, I, yeah, sometimes you do have to give up some of those things. There are movies I didn't get to see in the theater. You know, I'm for, surprised. For- <laughs> I'm actually more surprised, Dave, that you didn't criticize the conception of the child. And the, <laughs> the thing, why couldn't you have worked you're around plan the coitus? <laughs> Guys, come on, guys. That's that is ridiculous. Okay, look at my <laughs> shared calendar. Okay, and we will. <laughs> it's centered around movie dates. Yeah. All right. So I mean, they, they announced they announced their tentpole films nine months in advance for a reason. <laughs> Let's move on to the second stage. This person lying to their wife about having seen the film. You know, this reminds me of, do you guys remember the comedian, I think it's, his name is Steve Ranaz, uh, Ranazisi, the guy who's on The League? Do you guys know who I'm talking about? The uh, comedian and actor, uh, Steven Ranazisi, who lied about being in a building during right. 9-11, right? Yeah. And then the, the New York Times broke this story of, uh, of him 
like lying about it and then he had to go and do like an apology tour on like Howard Stern and a bunch of other places really kind of a weird uh you know episode in in pop culture but i remember i listened to the entire Howard Stern interview uh with Steve which is fascinating uh and he he basically said like when someone says something like that, when someone says, oh, hey, this was Steve. He just moved here from New York. He was in Midtown during 9-11. You, know? you have about 15 seconds to refute that person or else it gets weird. Like then it's like <laughs> two weeks later. If you, you refute it two weeks later, then it's like, well, why didn't you just say something right then? You know? And he was yeah. caught up in the moment and he was new in L.A. You know? And he's the new guy. And he, like, this story kind of makes him seem sympathetic. And so he just went along with it, and then then he couldn't correct the record later on, right? So where this person have you ever have you ever (laughs) had that thing where someone introduces you as the wrong name, right? And then you you immediately you have to correct them right then, or else you are that person. (laughs) You're you're the person like why didn't you correct me? Like why didn't you correct the person when somebody uh, when somebody says your name wrong in general, which happens a lot to me too. You gotta you gotta get in there. Can you get your name? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I like this comment in the chat room. Fun Cooker One says, Dave is going full Justice Scalia on the descent here. Uh, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. So, anyway, point being, here is where this person messed up again is when he saw the movie, he should have just fessed up right there, right? Like that day, come home, sheepishly said, Honey, I messed up. I broke this solemn oath. You know, I'm sorry. I saw an opportunity and I took it. Yes. And I would I do thought, it again. I would do it why? again. Well, you why? do it so that she can go see the movie while you look at the baby. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, so she can still different. see the movie in theaters, you know, yes. like, and have that experience. That's amazing. You know, like, there's many. And, and then. Okay, uh, I agree with that. I agree with yes. that. If you walk in the door and you say, honey, I saw it. Now is your opportunity to see it. I'm going to take care of the child. Go. Enjoy. <laughs> That's one thing. But I do still believe that keeping it a secret. Giving her that moment where you watch it together at home, pretending to be shocked about the reveals. Uh, you know, <laughs> what? Oh, what? wow, honey. Oh, <laughs> I did not see that coming. Han Solo, no. Han <laughs> Solo, no. Um, <laughs> like trying to conjure a tear, you know, for that moment. Um, I, think, I think that is a beautiful gift that you deserve, she deserves to have. And if you you are just the lie is the gift. The lie is the gift, (laughs) and your guilt is the punishment. Hmm. Well, you know, call me not decent, Jeffrey Kanata, but uh, I disagree. I think you should have come clean right then. Yes, should have. Like you're. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I know. I'm going back, and I'm I'm adjudicating every single mistake this person made (laughs) in this whole twisted path. Well, now does he keep the lie or does he reveal it? <sighs> okay, so part of me agrees with you guys that yeah, it's nice to have that experience. But as you mentioned, Jeff, like this whole sacred, cool experience they had is built on a web of lies. It's a, it's a horrible foundation. And so I am going to dissent and say no. He should go back and just tell her everything. He should tell her <laughs> he should the truth. This interaction. He should tell her the truth. He should he should explain. Hey, I messed up and I lied about it, and I feel bad because I value truth in our relationship. And if I don't come clean now, who knows what other horrible secrets I could hide in the future? I don't even want to go there. No, I think what he should do <laughs> is what he should do right now is ask his wife to walk over to his podcast player of choice and press play. 
and she will hear this. <laughs> Mrs. M, you've been deceived. Your husband, whom you love, whom you thought was a pillar of honesty and trust, he's been lying to you for nearly a year now. Every moment he held your child in his arms <laughs> was a moment of deception. He saw The Force Awakens in theaters. He enjoyed it. He loved it. <laughs> and then he came home to the place where you were raising your child. <laughs> and he watched that movie again. And he claimed it was the first time. Jeff, um, I feel like you're being a little sarcastic with that, uh, <laughs> with that recollection. It's our duty to let you know, Mrs. M. <laughs> Dave thinks your marriage is a sham. And we're here to destroy it. Okay, so Jeff, you're being sarcastic, but I have entered in my dissent. Nonetheless, uh, the word of a slash film court is law. And so we have a two-to-one decision. We have a two-to-one decision here uh, in M's favor, which is preserve the lie, right? Continue the illusion and never do it again. Right? <laughs> Philip, Philip Trust Cole the, the married guys, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> preserve the, the lie. Philip Cole says, save that reveal for the deathbed. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> that is when one you want to wait. Honey. One more thing. <laughs> Rolo Tomasi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Slash Film Court has ruled, and uh, its word is final. M, hope you have a good time living with yourself. Uh, after your crimes, but uh, See, every day he has to make up for it. That's the thing. Yeah, him a yeah. better, better partner. All right, guys. Well, you know <laughs> this person uh, M who wrote into slash film court at slash filmcast at gmail dot com might have been blinded with guilt and been unable to see any more movies because his of how much were out of focus. His morals were out yeah. of focus, and uh, you know sometimes if you feel like you can't see clearly or your vision is gone, or even let's just say you want to update your wardrobe uh, and get something cool on your face, Warby Parker, a great solution for that. Buying glasses in a store can be a little bit high pressure, right? They have these like weird mirrors, uh, and you don't feel like you have enough time to look around and see what's it's really going on. It's expensive. It's, and it's super expensive. That is the biggest yeah. problem. It is so expensive. Uh, like, you can spend as much on glasses as you might on an iPhone sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Even if and, you're lucky enough to have vision insurance, uh, yeah, you will still end up spending a lot of money. Fortunately, we got this service called Warby Parker. You can find them at warbyparker.com slash filmcast. And what you, what you do is you go to warbyparker.com slash filmcast and you order your free home try-ons. Uh, and basically you choose five frames you'd like to try on. And, uh, and then you mail the frames back. And then... Uh, you choose your favorite pairs to have your prescription added to, and then you order. Uh, and they make the experience completely risk-free and give you free shipping all around. Now, all three of us have tried the Warby Parker experience. And I'll admit, I was a bit skeptical uh, when I started. I'm like, are these going to be good? Uh, are these going to look good? What's the experience of uh, getting them mailed to you and trying them on? And turns out it was super convenient. I mean, they mail it to you in this like cool box, and like mm-hmm. the uh, the glasses are all like you know divided up in this cool like case, and uh, and you just choose them. You try them on. You can ask people for opinions, take photos of yourself with them. You know, uh, do it in the privacy of your own own home. It's really cool. Uh, and then you go you go to order it, 
and the prices are amazing, right, guys? Like, I mean, yeah, it's like bucks. it's like lower price than virtually anywhere else uh, that you can buy glasses. Well, there, there are cheaper glasses places online, but I've also bought from them, and they are terrible. Yes, like, they <laughs> fall apart. So, so it's these nice are to have one that'll stick around for a while. It's good quality. Uh, the prescription eyeglasses start at ninety five dollars, including the lenses, which is amazing. It's incredible. That is. Yeah. Incredible, and they're high quality. I have two pairs of Warby Parkers. It's the only glasses that I have. I love them. When I my prescription changed, I was all excited because I got to a chance to buy new Warby Parkers. Uh, they have an awesome case that they come into. That's a carrying case you can take around. It's sturdy and protects them. These are great. Great glasses. Yeah. So if you like watching movies, chances are your eyes aren't super great and you need glasses, guys. And if you're going to buy them, uh, then you should go to warbyparker.com slash filmcast. They'll give you some awesome prescription glasses that look stylish and are super cheap. Uh, so again, They have sunglasses too. Yep. Sunglasses, prescription get, sunglasses. They're they have, fantastic. They have a lot of stuff. It looks, and that's the coolest thing is they're inexpensive enough that you can get glasses and sunglasses that are both prescription – for the mm-hmm. price, for less than you would actually pay on just one set of glasses somewhere else, but they're super high quality. It's it's yeah, great. It's great. It's great. So warbyparker.com slash filmcast. They're a new sponsor for us, and we hope you guys will try them out if you are considering getting eyeglasses, uh, because we think it's a cool service, and we think you guys will too. So we really use them. Yeah, we really do use them. So warbyparker.com slash filmcast, uh, and thanks to Warby Parker for sponsoring us. All right, guys, let's get to what we've been watching this week. Uh, I have been watching a bunch of things. I'll go through them pretty quickly. Firstly, watch the Emmys last week, and that was uh, actually a pretty good experience, guys. I have mm-hmm. to say, uh, I thought the award ceremony was like kept moving pretty quickly, uh, and also most of the things that I liked won. Right, like there was very few things where something won, and I thought to myself, "Oh, that didn't deserve to win." If anything, it was the opposite problem where. Many categories had so many amazing things. I was frustrated that more of them, more than one, couldn't win. Uh, but yeah, you got Veep for outstanding comedy series, uh, Game of Thrones for outstanding drama series. Last week tonight uh, picked up an Emmy as well as Key and Peele, very well deserved. And of course, uh, the big winner, I would say, outstanding limited series, People versus O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. won a bunch of awards, uh, and uh, I-, I thought it was uh, very, very well deserved. Uh, and uh, it is like a night and day experience watching the Emmys versus the Oscars this year, guys. Because sure. I mean, uh, Rami Malek also won uh, Best Actor too, and yeah. that's uh, kind of a big deal. No matter what you think of the show, yeah, he does a good job. Basically, uh, white males were dramatically outnumbered in uh, the awards and virtually every category. Uh, like there were very few sort of conventional-looking winners, and uh, not only that, we got. Alan Yang from Master of None winning a writing award along with Aziz Ansari, going up and making an awesome speech about how you know Asians need more representation on screen and basically telling Asian parents, you know, don't buy uh, your kids a violin, buy them a camera instead, and then I think we'll be okay. Really love that. That was a great touch. Uh, and uh, I, I, you know, I think a surprise was Ben Mendelsohn winning for Bloodline. Uh, beating out Peter yeah. Dinklage and Kit Harrington, but uh, very well Jeff, deserved. Yeah, Jeff, you are a big fan of Bloodline, right? Huge fan of Bloodline. Very sad to hear that the third season will be the last season that was just announced. Um, but Ben Mendelsohn in that first season is a force of nature. He mm. is incredible and well deserved. Only other thing I want to give a shout out to is Miguel Sapochnik winning a uh, 
Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series Award also for... Also well-deserved. Yeah, for yeah. Battle of the Bastards. I mean, he has come a long way from Repo Men. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, Battle of the Bastards, one of the finest hours of television sure. ever but created. If, if you go back and listen to our review of Repo Men, we, I, I think we praise the same things, right? He yeah. has a great visual eye and his eye for action, and that all shows yeah, up that, again. that movie is underrated, I would yes. say. Uh, Repo Men is underrated. But but glad to hear he is now, like, see, he's now one of the, you know best directors of tv in alive today and so that's pretty mm-hmm. awesome so anyway overall it was a great uh ceremony and uh i thought jimmy kimmel did a decent job in a relatively thankless task and a lot of awesome things won so uh solid emmys this year and uh, i recorded a 30 minute uh periscope of it after the fact, so you can find that on uh, at Dave Chensky on Periscope if you want to see a fuller, more detailed reaction to the Emmys this year. Uh, all right. Speaking of uh, O.J. Simpson, I had a chance to finally finish uh, O.J. Simpson Made in America, the seven-and-a-half-hour-long oh, yeah. ESPN series, uh, which I believe you can watch for free streaming on ESPN's site right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can watch the whole thing. Uh, Devinder, did you finish the series? I did, yeah. It's uh, I bought that on iTunes as soon as it was available. Totally worth it. One of the most compelling things I've seen this year. Jeff Kanata, have you seen uh, the O.J. Simpson? I uh, have not. I have not. Uh, I would describe. I tweeted this out after I finished uh, watching all seven hours of it. That this is the Fury Road of documentaries in the sense that every five minutes, I was staring at my screen in awe because he had uh, this uh, director had unearthed. Some kind of footage that would have like was mind boggling. Like, mm-hmm. like how, how did he get this footage? <laughs> it's just I don't even understand. Ezra Edelman, by the way, is the uh, producer and director. How did he do it? The the movie the uh, uh, the documentary opens with footage of present day O.J. Simpson's parole hearing. How did how did he get that footage? You know, like and every five minutes I would ask that question in my mind. How did he get this footage? Uh, and so there's the Herculean task of obtaining all the footage, doing all the interviews, but then you can't just do that. You can't just do that. Th- that would not make you a filmmaker. That would just make you like a really good archivist or producer. This person, Ezra Edelman, assembled each ep- each 90 minute episode in such a way that made it incredibly compelling storytelling. Uh, and he starts from like way before uh, the O.J. Simpson you know trial even happened to you know the uh, the Rodney King events and and all the history of LAPD racism and then going on past uh, the O.J. Simpson trial uh, to like where O.J. Simpson how O.J. Simpson ended up where he is today and it is so fascinating so well done and uh, such an amazing piece of work I cannot recommend it highly enough uh, so that's O.J. Uh, Simpson Made in America and watching it the, the thing I'm struck by is just like the title of the documentary is Made in America and what a remarkable sequence of events. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the, it's called mm-hmm. Made in America because it's like this thing probably could have never happened in another country, right? Like any, yeah. any component of this, like everything followed like one after the other. The idea that this, all this, um, this uh, LAPD violence and this, this perceived racism on, on the part of the police department uh, occurred. And, and if that wasn't there, then OJ Simpson might not have been so easily acquitted. And, and then, all the stuff that led to him getting arrested again. It's just so insane. But it does feel distinctly American. And, uh, and I think, yeah, 
it's been a great year for documentaries. Uh, so many amazing documentaries this year, including Made in America. I'm thinking also Tickled. You guys haven't seen that movie yet, but it's awesome. Uh, the documentary Wiener. Uh, I saw this movie this year called The Tower. Uh, all those movies are probably going to make it onto my top ten of the year. I mean, it's just been an awesome year for documentaries. So, um, O.J. Simpson, Made in America, five-part documentary streaming on ESPN right now. Check it out. It's amazing. Put in the time, guys. Uh, all right. A couple of other things to mention. Firstly, I uh, wanted to mention Ali Wong's Baby Cobra. I've been, it's been a while for me to get around to this, but this is a Netflix comedy special featuring Ali Wong, who's a writer on Fresh Off the Boat. Uh, and it is hilarious. I thought this great. was yeah. awesome. You guys, hilarious. you guys watch this? Yeah, I, I also it. saw her do some of that material like live here last year. So oh, awesome. it's nice she's refined it a little too. Yeah, she's, this is her doing uh, a a special. What seven months pregnant? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, she cuts so, a very striking figure. You don't normally see Asian female comedians on stage who are seven months pregnant. So even you just don't like well, female comedians on yeah. stage who are pregnant too. Yeah, like, yeah that's, she, that's the she thing. Talks she talks about that directly about pregnancy and being a, f- a comedian. But I, I like that the whole special isn't about it. Like she gets – it takes mm-hmm. a while for her to get around to talking about being pregnant. She's just doing the show and I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But we actually um, watched this in the hospital as we waited for my wife to go into active labor. So uh, I thought this was kind of a special thing we saved and we watched and laughed and some of the nurses were like, Why, what's all that laughing going on in here? And we were watching – Ali Wong pregnant, as my wife was very pregnant, giving birth in the, in the <laughs> hospital. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to give a plug for it. It's great. She tackles uh, humor about uh, Asians and uh, like Asian-specific humor that I thought was very astute uh, and goes in like some pretty taboo places, I would say. Oh, yeah. For sure. Uh, so most it will, taboo. It will make you uncomfortable. It is uh, somewhat offensive, but it is also hilarious. That's Ali Wong's Baby Cobra. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Finally, just wanted to give a shout-out to a movie called The Purge Election Year, which is a movie that, uh, you know... You're just looking at the news, aren't you? I'm probably the only person uh, on this podcast that has any interest in watching. But, guys, I mean, let me bring up a, a very interesting fact. At least in my opinion, it's interesting. So if I had told you this year, I told you in 2016, okay, here are movies that are coming out. Mm-hmm. The Purge Election Year, and a new movie uh, by Steven Spielberg, a new movie by Todd Phillips, a new movie by Michael Bay, a new movie by Duncan Jones, a new movie by Dan Trachtenberg. Uh, which one of those movies is going to make more money? The Purge Election Year or any of those movies? The answer is The Purge Election Year, which currently right. sits domestically at $79 million and has beat out 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, the BFG, uh, War Dogs, and a bunch of other movies that had a much higher budget and had much uh, finer pedigree under it. I mean, to um, be fair, I think much of the audience probably thought they were just like turning on the news. <laughs> I mean, I, can't, I, I cannot imagine why a movie about a blonde woman trying to wrest the presidency away from a cult-like figure in order to save us from anarchy, chaos, and uncontrolled violence on the streets would resonate with audiences today. But for some reason, it did, and the movie has made over $100 million worldwide. Uh, and All I care about, Dave, is d- does she succeed at the end? I am not going to say – I'm not going to spoil that. Please say yes. I'm not going to spoil that, Jeff Kanata. But say yes. Uh, you know, the movie is – Does somebody say the votes are in? <laughs> and then blows off the head of the bad guy at some point? The movie is fine, guys. I mean, it, it's uh, – 
you know, I'm trying to think of like what in this movie is good. You know, the like, last one was a lot of fun. The, yeah, the last one, the Purge Anarchy was fun. Uh, and but I'm trying to think like what, what does this movie do very well? And I don't I don't know that I can name anything. I mean, um, so firstly, let's just admit that the the premise of the Purge is ludicrous. The idea that hey, by purging all of our feelings, you know, they make crime any crime, including murder, legal for 12 hours, one day a year. And the idea is people will commit their crimes and purge. And then, uh, and then everyone's great the rest of the year. Right. Uh, that's how human beings work. That's how human beings work. Right? If you have a taste of violence, you're done. You don't need it anymore for the rest oh. of the year. That's mm-hmm. how it works. So let's the same admi- thing with uh, sweets. All I need to have is one piece of cake <laughs> one time a year, and I'm good. Let's admit that the, the concept is ludicrous, okay? Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, in this movie, The Purge Election Year, people are starting to realize, hey, wait a second. The poor people are suffering disproportionately from the purge, guys. Who would have thought? Uh, You really should have thought this one through before we passed the purge law. uh, So the poor people are are, are getting really riled up and they're trying to elect this person who's trying to end the purge. Uh, But I'm trying to think through like what this movie does really well and I can't really think of anything. Like the script isn't super great. Uh, The performances are okay. The action's okay. Uh, All it really does is like the, the plot is kind of interesting and twisty and, you know, it takes some interesting turns. And so it kind of is, is tense. There's some good suspense going on. But really, it just is carries out this ludicrous premise to its logical conclusion. And that's kind of all you're hoping for probably when you watch this movie. And it does a decent job. I would say it's a solid B movie. Not, not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. And certainly, if you liked Purge 1 and 2... I don't think you'll be disappointed by this one. But it's not a movie where I'm like, oh, man, i got to go back and watch that scene from the Purge election year. You know what I mean? Because there's no scene like that where I feel, oh, wow, that was an amazing scene. Uh, and I feel like we've already talked too much about this movie. <laughs> then let's move on. <laughs> let's purge it from our minds. Yeah. <laughs> to Devinder Harder, what have you been watching this week? Uh, a couple of things. I did check out The Good Place, which is this new show on NBC. It's a new show from uh, Michael Schur, co-creator of uh, Parks and Rec and also Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, too, because it's the first uh, – the pilot of the show is the first thing Drew Goddard has directed since Cabin in the Woods. has some really interesting writers, too. Alan, Alan Yang uh, wrote an episode for this. Uh, great cast, Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. It is sort of like Dead Like Me, except it's actually set in the afterlife. Uh, it's about a girl who dies, um, and that's the beginning of the show. She's just in the afterlife, and Ted Danson is a sort of like Willy Wonka character who explains it all to her and figures out like you know how she belongs there. And uh, the the twist is that uh, she she doesn't really belong there. It's it's the place for good people, not the place for bad people, and that's the real conflict of the show. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's sweet. Um, it has a really weird production design that reminds me a lot of Pushing Daisies. It's a really bright and colorful show uh, that gets to be sometimes really freaky and scary too because there are a lot of CG effects and sometimes weird things start happening. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to point this out because it has enough things I like in it. I love Ted Danson when he is uh, happy and kind of crazy, but also when he's forlorn and sad. And this show has a lot of that. If you like Ted Danson bored to death, um, yeah, a lot of that character is here, too. Uh, and Kristen Bell is fun, as always. But mostly I want to see what Drew Goddard was up to. And, yeah, it's fine. It, it's it's fun so far. That's The Good Place. It's airing right now on NBC. What else have you been watching, Devendra? I also saw the first episode of High Maintenance, uh, the HBO version, because uh, this has been a web show for a couple of years on yeah, Vimeo, right? So, so it started as a web show. And then I believe Vimeo paid for exclusive rights for mm-hmm. High Maintenance to air only on Vimeo. 
Then HBO swooped in, and then they picked it up. My guess is that uh, it was half hour long, right? What you watched? Yeah. yeah. So the the Vimeo episodes were only like you know five to ten minutes. They weren't yes. super long. So I think the uh, HBO saw a great show, it, like the original you know Vimeo High Maintenance was very funny and very it's a great concept, very too. well it's done. Yeah, and stories of a weed dealer and the people he deals to. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Think of it like Six Feet Under, but instead of someone dying at the beginning mm-hmm. of every episode, someone needs weed at the beginning of every episode. <laughs> uh, and I wonder so- how the idea for this show came about. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, so yeah, uh, so that's how maintenance is airing right now on HBO. And yeah. so uh, yeah, what did you think of it? How did it, how does it make the translation to a half hour long series? I, well, it looks a lot better too because you yeah. can tell. Oh, there's there's production value. It, it felt now. like they shot the original on like uh, DSLRs, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that now, felt just a lot cheaper. This yeah. feels uh, yeah as good as any other HBO New York drama does. Uh, it's very good looking. It's also kind of weird because I was watching this in Georgia, and the very first scene of the show is set in my barber shop. And that was a really weird experience. I also think that there's like a Russian barber character that they make fun of that I think they're just based on my barber. So it's a really weird taste of New York. Um, but, you know, kind of similar to Girls, kind of similar to some other HBO dramas in that it's it's also about, you know, young people in the lives they're leading now and their relationships and stuff. I have to say, though, the second half of that first episode is terrifying. It is it's it's just kind of bleak and like it's funny in a way, but also kind of like it, it will make you rethink your, your I don't know your life choices somehow. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's a very modern twist on a classic story. Uh, when you guys see it, you'll know what I mean. All uh, right, definitely worth watching though. Looking forward to it. that's high. Do not watch it with your parents. Okay. That's, uh, <laughs> It's my uh, one piece of advice. That's how main it's airing right now on HBO. I'm looking forward to checking it out. I'm I'm actually probably. Uh, I tried to log into HBO Go the other day, only to find that my HBO subscription had expired. Oh no! And I need to—I think I need to make the move to HBO Now, which is yeah. what you use when you're web only. You cannot actually sign up for HBO Now on HBO Now's website. You have to go use an app to sign up. Just I thought that do was, it from iTunes, yeah. dude. Yeah, that does really weird. HBO later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's gonna, it's HBO later. <laughs> That's right. All right, Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? I have another show that you should not watch with your parents. <laughs> Uh, the new Netflix show called Easy, uh, which is an anthology half-hour comedy, which I don't think I've ever seen before. I don't know. I don't know if I could name another anthology half-hour comedy. Uh, it in in effect, it it ends up feeling like a collection of short stories because these are half-hour episodes about different groups of people. But uh, Joe usually- Swanberg short stories. Yeah, Joe Swanberg. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and uh, these are all centered in Chicago. That sort of central theme is Chicago. And they're all generally about relationships of, of various kinds. Uh, and uh, some, some high-profile actors are in some of them, people you would recognize. But they're really not related in any way other than these sort of central themes. Uh, but, and some of them are good and some of them are less good. But uh, I overall enjoyed it. I watched about six of them so far and um, – I thought there were six. How many are there? I think there's eight or. Oh, eight or yeah, I think it's eight. Is my yeah. recollection. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't watched all of them, but um, I watched them in order. <laughs> but I kind of felt like, well, I don't have to. Uh, yeah. But I, it, I also wasn't able to sort of break myself out of that. I was like, uh, I guess I just got to watch them in order. Um, but yeah, good stuff. I mean, there's a different, different things explored. Uh, the first episode's really fun. Very hit home. It's like you know parents of a kid trying to maintain their, you know, sexual relationship with each other when they, when they have kids. And there's one that's almost, uh, primarily in Spanish about a Spanish language couple. Um, 
there's uh, a lesbian couple. There's um, uh, Mark Maron is in one that seems very much almost like about an analog of Mark Maron, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. It, there's some, it's good. It's worth watching. It's very explicit sexually. But ultimately, all of the stories are very sweet. They end up having very sweet resolutions and um, – you know, they're they're almost little trifles. They're, there's yeah. nothing super heavy about any of them, but they're enjoyable. I also feel like you have to be into, I don't know, Joe Swanberg's kind of like thing, the way he yeah. does kind of improv scenes yeah. and everything. Like it's not, it doesn't feel as put together as other dramas that you may see. And honestly, the first, I've only seen the first episode, which is fine. It has some great actors, but it also doesn't feel like they did anything new. I've, I've seen yeah, it so many times. Yeah. There, I think the the first one is one of the least original of them, as far as that. There are some some episodes that are you know trying to do something a little more interesting, um, but I see your point. Also, I, I don't I don't think that's inaccurate. One of the things I liked is some of the Chicago improvisers that show up. Um, mm-hmm. uh, T.J. Jagodowski and David Pasquese are in episodes, and I'm like I could not be bigger fans of those guys. I think they're gods, um, and just see them kind of do their thing is, is pretty mm-hmm. entertaining. Um, so yeah, I, there's enough to like that. I, I would recommend it, but I don't think it's like must watch TV. It's just sort of like, it's a, it's a nice thing to kind of wind down and yeah. watch in the night. There's a lot of, a lot of kind of weak ass praise going on in the slice Filmcast today between <laughs> the purge election year, the good place and easy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's you not know, much happening guys. That's okay. Uh, so that's easy. It's airing on Netflix right now. All right, Jeff, I think you have something where you have more wholehearted praise for today, right? I'm going to shock you. No. Oh, snap. Uh, so you saw Hunt for the Wilder People, which has a yes. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. <laughs> yes. And I was very excited to watch this movie. Love the filmmaker. Heard nothing but extraordinary praise from everybody who'd seen it, including both of you guys. Or at least I think I only heard from Dave before yeah. I saw it. But um, I expected this to be like Sing Street level, me love it. Mm. And maybe my expectations were too high because I just liked it. Mm. Um, I thought it was... I thought it was a cute movie. I thought it was a sweet movie. Uh, I thought the performances were nice and fun and charming, and I liked the structure of it, and it's kind of got a novel premise. But ultimately, it didn't, it didn't bowl me over. I, I, I just thought it was cute. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I wish I'd liked it more, but I didn't. All right. Well, uh, I also saw Hunt for the Wilder People, and I think it's a perfect movie, you guys. Really? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> I actually, I love this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah. I, it may just be one of those stylistic things. Uh, I mean, I love Sing Street too, but I think the way this is kind of a fairy tale. That's the structure of this uh, of the story. Uh, but I love the actors. I mean, Sam Neill being a you know a gruffy old dude who may you know is forced to try to come to terms with this uh, pudgy kid in the wild. It's just like that's a recipe for something that I I would watch forever. And uh, the kid is sweet. The actors you know, all around are great. It's really well written. Um, I've seen this movie a couple times actually over the past week. Uh, it's just so well constructed. It just feels so tight, and I cannot wait to see what Taika Waititi does with uh, Thor. Yeah, I, I just thought I thought the best part of the movie was was his cameo, uh, Taika Waititi. Like he plays mm-hmm. the uh, the preacher, and I, that's so funny. That was uh, pretty good. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, so funny. But yeah, uh, I can understand why someone might find it to be like sweet yet inconsequential, which is what it sounds like Jeff found it. Uh, I really liked it, 
and uh, I join the chorus of critics who think it's like one of the best films of the year. So I, I think it is also one of those movies that will reveal more of itself if you rewatch it. Uh, there, it's almost it feels like an Edgar Wright movie in some ways. Like the visual sensibilities and kind of the way he frames things is all very interesting, and uh, yeah, it works really well. There's a lot to pay attention to, basically. I I couldn't help but compare it to Moonrise Kingdom, which I think is a far superior film. Mm. Um, but that's just my maybe my just my taste. All right. Well, uh, agree to disagree on that one, Jeff Kanata, but that's Hunt for the Wilder People. It's available right now uh, on video on demand. Uh, so that's going to bring us to the end of what we've been watching. And uh, before we get to our review, we've got to thank all the people that donated to the Slash Filmcast. Thanks to Troy H. from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Lisa H. from Edmonton, Canada, longtime listener, uh, Ryan R. from Mesa, Arizona. And thanks to new subscribers, Joshua Knopfs. Uh, for his recurring subscription at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the Slash Filmcast, uh, we'd really appreciate it. Go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, that would help us out. And uh, thanks to all the people who donated this week. And thanks to WarbyParker.com Slash Filmcast for sponsoring us. Let's get into our review of The Magnificent Seven. Man carries a gun, he tends to use it. Dan, you dead? Pity. I had just ordered a drink from that man. Took a job, looking for some men to join you. Is it difficult? Impossible. That was from the trailer of The Magnificent Seven, new film by director Antoine Fuqua. Uh, it stars Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio, Byung-Hun Lee, uh, and uh, a few other people that round out the seven. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Seven gunmen in the Old West gradually come together to help a poor village against savage thieves. Jeff Kanata, you a fan of uh, the original Magnificent Seven? Are you familiar with that film? And uh, yes. if so, what, how'd you think this new one compared? I am. Uh, I'm also a fan of Seven Samurai, uh, which is its you know antecedent even farther back. And uh, I was really excited to see this. Uh, I think it, it disappointed me pretty much on every level. Um, wow. Yeah, I really did not like it. Uh, and it's, it makes me sad because I think the talent involved is so high. Uh, but f- for me, it was one of those movies where in the first five minutes I was like, rut row. <laughs> uh, this, <laughs> this seems all wrong. Oh, Please let's get better. Let's get better, uh, and it doesn't. Um, I think the, I would guess maybe as much as a quarter of the movie at the end is the sort of final big action set piece. Mm-hmm. It's a really long sequence, yeah. and I ended up uh, admiring uh, some of the staging of that and how that was realized. I thought uh, it's impressive that so much of the film is dedicated to that, and I thought uh, there were some cool moments, but. Ultimately, it, it wasn't enough to redeem what I thought was a very flat movie that uh, introduced its characters in very uninteresting ways. Uh, none of the performances had, had a sparkle to them, which I found shocking because Denzel Washington is incapable of not having a sparkle. And uh, Chris Pratt has been hitting home runs lately. Chris Pratt feels like he's in the wrong movie. He's yeah. wild, <laughs> wildly miscast. Um, because he's kind of doing like some slapstick yeah. work almost, which like mm-hmm. just doesn't fit in really with the rest of the film. Yeah, I, I, they mm-hmm. clearly wanted him to be kind of comic relief, but it did not work for me. Yeah, right. Yeah, it, the 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 characters themselves are all broadly drawn. Um, 
everything, every moment we get introduced to each of them and they own, each of them has their own moment to be awesome. And I didn't find any of them moments awesome. It, it, it was like, <laughs> this is, we're supposed to think, this are, these are the Avengers, right? These are the Avengers and they're, we're supposed to think that they have these incredible, unique powers and not powers. It's the wrong word. They're but, a little more like Suicide Squad, I guess. But even then, yeah. like, yeah, not yeah. much going on there. The set of skills that they're going to bring to the table is going to be unique and interesting, and the, they're the best there is at what they do. And here we're going to assemble this team. Assembling a team is a fun yeah. conceit. We get to have in movies, you know, Ocean's Eleven type things, or even like the Mission Impossible movies. There's, there's a, it's a very common thing to assemble the team. That's a fun thing to do in a movie. Um, I didn't have any fun assembling the team in this movie. It just felt long, drawn out, uninteresting. I, I didn't find them to be particularly heroic people. I didn't find the cause to be, it felt like it felt ultimately why, <laughs> why are we even doing this? And I never <laughs> felt like that with the original seven samurai or magnificent seven. Uh, it just, the tone here is weird. Like I said, in the first five minutes you have uh, Peter Sarsgaard come in and he's a cartoon character. Yep. yep. Well, and it's, it's, talk about sparkle. I think he was the one interesting mm-hmm. Actor in this movie, at least, he yeah, chews he, it up so well. Oh, he so chews it, but it so is. It's, it's like, what he, is this movie doing? He, he's like, like gnawing on it, really. It's like, great. It's, yeah. he's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, knows he really what movies. He's in. He maybe. goes out. He is cartoonishly evil with zero yes. redeeming qualities, which is not something you can say for uh, the villains in the other seven movie. You know, right. other sure. Magnificent yeah. Seven or the uh, Seven Samurai, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't have much fun in this movie. Uh, the the gunfighting is all – like I said, the staging of that final set piece is grand. It's it's big in scope and there's a lot going on. But I mean I, I don't know if we're going to do spoilers for this one. But I, I question the plan of anyone <laughs> involved. Um, it is yeah. – no one in this movie misses if they're a good guy. You know, they literally never miss once. Uh it's I don't know. It it just all felt paint by numbers and and kind of on rails. It it would just mm-hmm. it did, there was no spark of life anywhere in the movie. All right, Devinger Hardware, how about you? Yeah, this uh, I know I I would try to make some sort of pun with the title, but uh, I just I don't even have the energy. More like that. the Meg Meh. The magnificent seven. The magnificent. The magnificent. That's a word. Uh, um. You know, it's it's fine. It's it's it, in many ways it feels like an adequate western um, because uh, these days we remember the great westerns, but there were so many of them, and most of them are not worth watching anymore. I feel like this the Magnificent sort of movie, Seven is one that's yes, worth watching. It's yes, it is. Good. It is. Uh, so that's a shame that it's, it has fallen so far from its predecessor. Uh, this feels like the sort of movie that um, you know my dad would watch and really enjoy. You know, he's a guy, he loves his Westerns, loves his action movies. He, he won't be thinking too much about the plot or the way it's all staged. And it's fine. And, uh, you know, you, you get Denzel in, uh, in the lead role as a cowboy. That is cool. You know, just, just that. Even if the movie doesn't do much with that, the fact that it has Denzel as a lead as a cowboy is cool. Yeah, and he, cut, um, he cuts a striking figure. Denzel Washington yeah. dressed completely in black. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. The but, burns, like, it's that imagery. Yeah, got the sideburns. That imagery is great. Honestly, I also like the way the movie is quietly diverse too. Like it is, you know, it's, it has a nice representative uh, representative cast, even though it doesn't do anything with it, which is also really strange. Like I do kind of wish 
I don't know. More more was done with what it is, uh, with, with the cast it has, because ultimately this movie isn't about much. That's that's the bigger thing, right? The Seven Samurai feels like an ode to, uh, I don't know, village life in Japan, in a way, and the nobility of uh, that's being lost in their society. Uh, the Magnificent Seven feels like a throwback to... Uh, I know it, it's trying to glorify westerns in a certain way or cowboys. This movie just isn't doing anything really, even though it has like the setting to say some really interesting things about the state of America today or something. And it doesn't. It just doesn't do much. It's it's pretty by the numbers. I think some of the action sequences are fine, especially the first shootout um, with Denzel's character. The sound design is good. It feels good as a Western. But yeah, the thing I enjoyed the most is Peter Sarsgaard as the scenery chomping villain and i wish we got more of him just being crazy evil uh but yeah the the mechanics of the movie doesn't really make sense they just kind of stumble into the the entire team um chris pratt's character in particular annoyed me because what it what is he he's just the funny guy that shoots okay he's kind Um, of a drunk and he's kind kind of a a magician and he's kind of a kind of a a hitting on girl guy he's a lovable rogue there's nothing yeah it's weird I wonder. I also feel like people like just don't know how to use Chris Pratt really well. Like I, we had the same problems with Jurassic World. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy used him really well. Parks and Rec used him really well. But I wonder if we can, if a director will be able to use Chris Pratt, uh, Chris Pratt in a way beyond that lovable rogue type thing. Because if you don't do it well, then it just seems like a cartoon, and that's kind of how it came off here. Uh, and beyond that, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think the movie had too much else going for it. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with everything you guys said. You know, it's some pretty weak build-up to a big action scene, mm-hmm. and the back, the action scene is kind of decent. You know, like there's some cool, yeah. there's some cool stuff in it. Uh, you get to see Denzel being a real badass, and that's that's kind of cool. Um, so if you're if you're going for that kind of thing, and many millions of Americans do, then I think you'll enjoy the Magnificent Seven. If you're looking for anything deeper or anything transcendent or anything that's kind of genre defining uh, in the way that like the original Magnificent Seven was or Seven Samurai, I think you'll come away very disappointed. I have a few more things to talk about. I'd like to do it in spoilers. Uh, any other thoughts? Sure. The only thing I'll say, I guess, about the music. It's fine. It's one of James Horner's last scores that he ever was involved in. Uh, But, I mean, he was following up one of the best uh, movie scores ever written in the history of movies, uh, which is the score for the the original Magnificent Seven by John Sturgis. Uh, And that is a tough act to follow, and I don't know that the movie does it particularly well. It does, um, it does weave it in nicely towards yeah. the end, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, I guess one other thing I want to say, uh, representationally about this movie, too, uh, the one like main uh, female character actually gets to be you know, a person of action and not just responding to everything. Like she's the one who tries to, to uh, hires uh, Denzel Washington's character yeah. and she ends up having a part in the action towards the end. I think the movie actually, I, I'm glad that even if it's not a great movie, that at least certain eyes, a uh, certain attention was paid to representation. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about that in spoilers. But um... I, um, I hesitate <laughs> to bring up politics, but it's it also you know you bring yourself into the movies mm-hmm. with you, right? And when I this week, as I walked into this movie theater, watching people who were being wantonly killed by law enforcement. Uh, then have to go get other people to go murder those law enforcement. Uh, that's the plot of this movie is there's law enforcement officials in our town that are killing us. Let's go mm-hmm. get people to murder them. 
kind of a hard thing to not see in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. It was hard. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's get the spoilers for Magnificent Seven starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... They're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. On that note, Devendra, regarding representation, the movie is meh, but it is really fascinating that... Uh, this movie does a much better job of racial of, of tackling like racial racial and gender politics than the original Magnificent Seven. You oh, know? for sure. Yeah. That was a movie where uh, you had these white dudes going to save this Mexican village. You know, and, and you know this new movie completely reverses that and doesn't even comment on it. That's what's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Doesn't draw any attention to it. I mean, there's maybe like one or two scenes where people cast like. Uh, cast a view askance at these this you know yeah. group of well, misfits. I mean, like the, the introduction to Denzel Washington's character is more like, what are you doing here? Right, guy? and that, that's you like know? that's basically it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's it. But there's a really, weird there's a weird subplot between Chris Pratt and the yeah. Mexican member of the Chris seven. Pratt is racist at the beginning and is not at the end. It's weird because there's yeah. nothing ever made of that. It's, yep. Yeah. Well, and, it's and also add to that that uh, good night. The character played by Ethan Hawke mm-hmm. was apparently one of the uh, sharpest shooters in the Confederate Army, right. uh, and he's in this group that's led by Denzel. It's just like, uh, well, there's a weird uh, like reference to some backstory between the two of them, or right. mm-hmm. but that's very vague, and you kind of don't pick it up. And he's like, well, you know, when I, we were out there, it was all different, and you know. So I mean, where, where I come down on it is that it's I actually think it's progress overall. Uh, yeah, yeah. None, none of the. Uh, actors or none of the characters, I should say, get any decent character development. Uh, but they are now multicolored and or multicultural, and don't they equally get crappy character development? And that is <laughs> That's a step the forward. Way it should be. That is a step forward, right? That's better than them all being white and getting crappy character right, development, right. or uh, the minorities only being like uh, characterized in really crappy ways. I do wonder the the introduction to like the Native American character who joins them is all about heart eating, and that's that's <laughs> tough to stomach, I guess. In more ways also, than one, yeah, yeah, in more ways. And than then one. there's this like evil uh, Native American character mm. that shows up for some reason yeah. and is kind well, of a big deal. Well, the bad guy's got to have representation too, you know. So. But there's he just sort of appears. There's yeah. no context for who he is or what he's doing oh, there. Yeah. He decides so he's gonna. He decides he's going to like go on this one-man crusade to murder the girl for some reason. Yeah, that's a, there's that's literally no reason for any of that. It, uh, there is, I mean, there is a scene at the end where uh, the two Native Americans fight each other, which yes. uh, was, I'll just say, uncomfortable for me to watch because uh, I don't think it was trying to be a commentary about how you know general society pits minority groups against each other using spurious reasons, you know. But also, uh, we're supposed to think that this this he's sort of like this big big bad mini boss character, yeah, right? To use yeah. video game parlance, but he's clearly like pushing seventy, you know. <laughs> and and it's the dude is rotund, yeah, yeah. And this like spry, ripped uh, b- badass is <laughs> clearly going to destroy him. It's very odd. Yeah, but. Again, overall, here here we have a movie that's headlined by a black person, where there's uh, people and of, by a black person, and directed too, by a black person, and people of various. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and people of various 
uh, ethnicities who are allowed to be uh, poorly developed characters, but poorly developed characters who are badasses in the film. And uh, it's kind of cool. I dig it, even though the movie itself was not super impressive. However, (laughs) however, I will say that this movie, The Magnificent Seven, the new one, had one of the worst... Last scenes I have ever seen in a film this year. I think my entire audience just groaned. And uh, this was a normal audience, do not critics. There's there's two elements to it that are horrible. <laughs> Firstly, the CG somehow lowers in quality by fifty yes. percent in the yeah. very like last thirty seconds. Because they couldn't shoot grass? <laughs> like just a grassy scene? Really? Followed by a cringe inducing voiceover about how, you know, these guys, they helped show us a new way of life. They were Magnificent. Which Wait, is that's like, the title of the movie. Oh my god! It, oh, it's those mag. That's those are the seven that the title is referring to. Wow! Thank you, movie. <laughs> I wonder it, if we have uh, Nick Pizzolatto to uh, to thank for that. It reminded me of uh, the bookended sequence in uh, Great Gatsby. You know, uh-huh. like with Tobey Maguire writing the book about the Great Gatsby. It's <laughs> like Gatsby just, sure was great. <laughs> he was great. It, it's just like. It's you know Matt Singer was on the podcast last week talking about everything wrong with modern day blockbusters and how they need to ex- they feel they need to explain everything, right. uh, and I feel like that's they couldn't count on the audience to understand that the Magnificent Seven referred to in the title were the seven yeah. characters in the film. It's it's too hard to actually make them <laughs> magnificent or do anything. That's right. So you just need to yeah. out, you yeah. need to outright yeah. say it explicitly at the end. Tell of the not show. That's what they say in Hollywood, right? Tell not show. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So but that was guys. Pr- what what was Vincent D'Onofrio doing? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people I thought he was the best part. Uh, I really loved it. I agree. I just, I'm, I'm agree with I'm you, David. I thought it was him. pretty. I thought it was pretty awful myself. But a I'm, lot of I'm always hit or miss on him. A lot of people seem to really like what Vincent D'Onofrio is doing. I thought it was awful, but he was the only one that had any sense of life at all in this movie for me everybody else i was so bored by even though i don't even use that word Except peter skarsgård <laughs> love this movie uh yeah no i vincent d'onofrio i was like that's the same guy that plays kingpin like this is how different can you be from kingpin i mean i don't know i just thought it was like he he's he's pulling a nicholas cage for sure but at least he's having fun you know yeah i guess jeff I guess. I'm not sure if I agree, but, you know, fair enough. That's an like, opinion. His introduction scene is also just so random, too. Like, they come across these two guys. <laughs> yeah. And he just comes so out of nowhere. All of the introduction scenes are like that, though. Yeah. They're all like that. They're all just it, bizarre non sequitur. Yeah. You guys remember in the Armageddon how Bruce Willis assembles the whole team of drillers? Yeah. And you see, like, a three-second shot of every single character. It's like that and, like, the randomness of it and the the broad characterization stretched out over the first hour of this film, basically. Yeah. yeah. But that was, uh, like, a montage, right? And yeah. That, I think there's energy to that. There was no energy to how – it's like, oh, uh, you're warranted. Um, yeah, there's a warrant out for you. And, uh, yeah, join us, I guess. Well, why, does, why does Denzel – pick chris pratt like he he admires him because he's the only dude that didn't run in the I bar i guess this makes no sense he walks in he's like i'll buy your horse why why does he <laughs> trust this dude no to be reason? fair to, to be fair i did not find the character i'm gonna maybe this is blasphemous but i did not find the characterizations in the original magnificent seven to be that much better you know sure. yeah. it, it is a little bit random i think the biggest difference between the magnificent seven original and this one is that uh there is no revenge subplot for for Den- the you know the main character. Like Denzel is out for revenge. In the original one, they're kind of just doing it for nobility, 
And you can decide for yourself what is more convincing. Uh, I don't think either one is better than the other. But I, like I said, I don't think the, the characters... I don't think I was like, oh my gosh, these richly defined characters... In the original John Sturgis Magnificent Seven, yeah. they completely destroyed that for the new one. They were just know? movie stars, yeah. That's yeah, it. and they, you know, they look great in that movie. Uh, it's very obvious Steve McQueen is a movie star. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, they're coasting by on charisma a lot of the time. So I, I, I agree with you that both movies, or I agree with you that this movie doesn't do a great job of, yeah. of uh, giving you good characterization. I don't think that the old one did a much better. The job. old one had genuine charisma though. Like you, it's, it's hard That's to go good. wrong with Steve McQueen and like the rest of that. Cast. Charles Bronson, you know, you have Come some on. really awesome Come actors on. there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Seriously. I'm Can sorry. Vincent about... D'Onofrio. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about that, that plan at the end? So it's a three day ride, right? Yeah. They, they brought the wagon with the Gatling gun on it mm-hmm. and he's hoping to not have to use it. Ooh. He's like, well, let's just <laughs> save it. Cause maybe we won't, we won't have to use it. Let the guys all charge in to certain death. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll just hold on to this Gatling gun just in case. Because you know what? I don't want to have to stand it's here expensive. and use that. The oh. ammo? Yeah. Oh, you don't yeah. want to use it if you have I to. I don't know, Jeff. I mean, maybe you just wanted to destroy the village at, like, the last, as a last resort. Maybe you start with the Gatling gun. <laughs> <laughs> what was you... Chris Pratt's plan, by the way, against the Gatling gun? Because right. it was like, it's a Gatling gun. And he's just running right, right straight it. up to it straight and then blow it. it up. That it's was like, the plan. Hope, the hope side, that they the light back. your cigarette and blow it up. That's the uh, that's the plan. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll fall over onto my face. <laughs> luckily, these guys will walk up to me. Uh, yeah, it's it's all so dumb. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Any other thoughts, guys? Or shall we wrap it up there? Another Nick Pizzolatto masterpiece. Indeed. Indeed. He was just... Peter Sarsgaard's character was so evil. I mean... So evil. But fir- you don't see that very the f- much the first, The first know? scene, the opening scene, I was like, okay, this guy's evil. But then I thought yeah. later on they might humanize him a little bit. Nope. Yeah. He continues I mean, to be evil. On so. a certain level, I think it's nice to have just a classical evil, evil, like a Dr. Evil villain. If it's done well, I think Peter Sarsgaard had a lot of fun with that. The thing is, yeah, nothing else in the movie was built to kind of support what he was doing either. All right, guys. That's going to bring us to the end of our review of The Magnificent Seven. Stay tuned. Here we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, I have a couple of other shows for you to check out. If you like video games, why not try DLC, my video game podcast? You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I also have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, and you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? Oh, I'm on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. And uh, check out the Engadget podcast, which we have just resurrected. Find me at DaveChen.me, and also find my film, The Primary Instinct, on Hulu and at ThePrimaryInstinct.com. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Adam Warrock. That's AdamWarrock.com. And next week, we'll be reviewing Deepwater Horizon, the newest film by Peter Berg. This movie originally looked horrible to me, yeah, but the reviews yeah. have been great. So I'm, I'm, very, I'm very yeah. curious. So I'm going to see it in IMAX tomorrow. I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for listening uh, to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you guys next week.
Jeff Kanata, Palmer Lucky is the founder of Oculus Rift, still in charge of Oculus Rift, which was recently acquired by Facebook. And a Daily Beast article recently broke explaining that Palmer Lucky was funding a subreddit to make uh, what are called shit posts of yeah. uh, of Hillary Clinton, like memes that ridicule Hillary, basically. They call them that, by the way. That's yeah. that's a self-classified shit posting. Yeah. That's not somebody denigrating them. That's them themselves self-identifying as shit posters. So there's a lot of things wrong with this. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. even putting aside uh, Hillary Clinton versus Trump and whatever your politics are on there, the idea that you would use this method of achieving your ends is uh, a lot repugnant. of people found it to be repugnant. Yeah, a lot it's of people repugnant. found it to be morally repugnant. So uh, now you have been longing for an Oculus Rift for quite a long time. Oh, I, I own one. I have owned one for a while. You have I owned one a- for yeah, I, I was a pre. I pre-ordered on the day it was released. I've had mine for a couple of months now, um, and I think it's an awesome piece of tech. I'm a huge VR aficionado, prosthetizer. I think VR is the future, and I love it. Uh, and I've talked about it on my video game podcast. Uh, I have a dedicated segment on my video game podcast about VR every week. Um, I think the Oculus is is really cool. I literally just got my hands on the touch controllers. Um, a little early. I'm very excited about that. And it's really, really hard. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. to me, the, the thing that I've tried to reinforce over and over and over again in talking about the story, because we unfortunately live in this time where everything has to be tribal. Everything has to be in an A camp or a B camp. And so many, I think, irresponsible websites have reported this as being about Trump support. And while I do believe that Trump support is uh, <laughs> an indicator of some serious uh, <laughs> misjudgment, that would not make me upset in the same way. If he just said, I support Trump, I plan to vote for him, mm-hmm. I would be like, God darn it, I think he's either not paying attention or valuing the wrong things. But we have an honest disagreement about that. What is what takes this into a place of being morally repugnant and I think separates it from a political argument. This has nothing to do, nothing to do with a political argument. The fact that I'm on the other side of the fence politically from this position is not even part of what makes me upset. What makes me upset is the methodology used by the group that he gave $10,000 to of his own admission. He admitted he's given $10,000 to support the tactics used by this group, Nimble America, to shitpost by their own descriptor, shitpost, which is to use the internet as a canvas to smear garbage onto and to use hate and uh, promote just uh, the worst kinds of internet mm-hmm. trolling. If my candidate, somebody that I was voting for, employed those tactics, I would be upset. And the fact that this guy, who's the face of a company that whose product I really admire and, and support, does that, really hit me 
in a personal place. It's it's along the lines of the things we've talked about with Bill mm-hmm. Cosby, you know, somebody well, he, that you, he's such a geek success story too, right? He's he he started this whole thing in his garage, you know, right. like just developing his own spin on a VR headset, and uh, you know, but it seems like this is what happens when you give a Reddit poster seven hundred million dollars, you know, <laughs> and, like, and, and this a twenty four year old happens. Yeah, twenty four year old Reddit poster. It, it you know. I'm sure there are a lot of 24-year-olds listening to this who are great, responsible, upstanding citizens. But Stay off Reddit, kids. There, are, there, are, there is a function of age. You know, mm-hmm. Evidently, some of the posts that have been attributed to him, he has denied that he posted them. But it, yeah. there seems to be a lot of evidence that his denial is a lie. <laughs> um, but anyway, those posts basically indicate that he did it for the lols. Because it's so funny to, to shitpost on people and spread awful things around the internet. Uh, I think a lot of that is a function of being 24. Uh, but I wonder, you know, d- d- are you a are you a shit bag before you get the money, or does the money turn you into a shit? I think bag? it amplifies it, right? Yeah. I, I once I saw know. a movie. I, I saw a movie called. I think it was actually coincidentally the movie. I think was called Lucky, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which it was about uh, people who won the lottery, and uh, I, I think. Uh, Someone said in the movie, uh, winning the lottery is like throwing miracle grow onto your personality, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so whatever's already there gets intensified. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I don't I know mean, how I, you guys feel about it, but, but it, it, it really – Yeah. I think he's been a liability to the company for a long time simply oh, because yeah. he can't shut his big yapper. And he's, been, he's caused all these PR problems in the last several months. That are business-related PR problems, and this one yeah. is a personal issue PR problem. And I think it would do them a service to separate themselves from him. Uh, but also, like, it just sucks that mm-hmm. this kind of behavior is seen as cool. Or it just—I just hate the fact that people yeah. are assholes to each other. We, we live in a fact-free society, and uh, normal, you know, arguments. Uh, normal arguments, uh, typical debate skills need not apply because it's all about the memes, right? And memes are the only way to communicate now. And that's, I guess that's really sad. I've been seeing a lot of people saying they're going to give up on Oculus because of this. And I think that's incredibly short-sighted because he doesn't really have much to do with the company aside. Like he's the face of it, but he's not developing Oculus stuff. He's not actively working on it. The company is being led by Brendan Arib, or I, I don't know how you pronounce his name. Uh, but yeah, he he's not like leading Oculus in any way. But I, and yeah, he's got his money. Yeah, yeah. You not buying an Oculus is going to affect him zero. So I don't know. I mean, it's a hard thing. But uh, I do like to you know put my money where my mouth is, and I I, I don't know. I don't want to stop supporting Oculus. I would. I hope they do something a little more. Uh, responsible and and address the issue more directly than they have up to this point. But there's a lot of developers who are pulling support for Oculus, and I kind of respect them for doing it. It's a yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. Mo- mostly smaller developers, though. Like I haven't seen any giant studios doing anything. No, but the guys who do Super Hypercube aren't going to publish on that site. Yeah. And Insomniac put out a statement saying that they, they do not support it. I, you know, I don't know. It's yeah, maybe little little things, but I think it goes, uh, towards not- a, it goes towards the whole question of like, how do you treat uh, art when you don't agree with the decisions of the arts creator, you know, right. and mm-hmm. we've struggled with this on the slice Filmcast a few times. And, yeah. uh, so Roman, Roman you, Polanski, Bill Cosby, yeah. are you going to continue to use the Oculus Rift, Jeff? 
I, in the short term, yeah. I mean, I, I he has nothing to do with Oculus, like in terms of what you're using now. Like he's not yeah. making the art. He is like the founder, and way back when he you know helped develop the technology, but he hasn't done anything. He's not working in the games now. It sucks because he yeah. he more than just Oculus, he's really been the face of VR. Yeah, and yeah. you know he was on the cover of Time, and he's 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 on the cover of Forbes, and he's he's been that that person uh and i just don't think he can be anymore mm-hmm. the, the other thing that bums me out about this we talked about this on my video game podcast this morning and that episode has been out and in the few hours since it was released my twitter feed has filled up with people <laughs> your mentions have become worthless basically <laughs> well it's it's a bummer that like i said you can't have a discussion about this without it becoming tribal and people are like you just hate him because he supports trump and the problem is like Trump is problematic. Like that's not a Republican thing. He's not a Republican. Trump is a, 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 he's not part of your tribe. If you're a Republican, he is a wholly unique, only in it for himself thing that is leveraging your party to do harm to our country. So stop feeling tribal. If you're, if you (laughs) consider yourself a conservative or Republican, but over and above that, I don't, I separate this issue from, just Trump support. This is not about that for me. And so many people are just like, what about Hillary? It's not about Trump and Hillary. It's about the fact that this guy thinks it's a good thing to give money to people that actively spread hate, garbage, negativity, and use the internet as their canvas. Like, fuck that. That's Mm -hmm. not what I stand for in any way. And I wouldn't stand for it if if people on my side of the ideological spectrum did it. To be fair, though, Jeff, uh, didn't he only contribute like $11,000 to these guys? So what? That's like that's a, a rounding error. That that's is like a lot of money. That's like a rounding error for him, right? No, <laughs> well, I'm for just, him, but who, I, I mean... That's, I, agree, I agree with you, Jeff. I'm, yeah. on, I'm on your side on this. I'm just, I was just playing devil's advocate to play devil's advocate, as I did during the Slash Film Court, except in that one, I actually believed what I was saying. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's gross, like, how he's how he's uh, kind of weaseled his way out of the, like he put out a statement saying that nimble rich man, which is the handle yeah. that was attributed in all of, you know, the posts for him. Like his, that, his statement had like uh, prove like it was full of lies basically. Well, basically he said, not, that's, I, I never created that account, but the truth is like someone created the account for him and then he used yeah. it to post so technically it's true that he didn't create the account, but it sounds like he's saying it's not him, yeah. but it fucking was him. So like he's being a douche in the way he's trying to weasel out. It's so it's the whole thing oh, is just he's he's learned from the best. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Sucks. There you go. Go look at his likes on Twitter, too, because those are public. And yeah, it's, and you go, it's, you know, it's more than just Trump support. Yeah. All of us have been like, I think I know a lot of people have said, well, as soon as that generation of billionaires dies off, we'll have this young generation of billionaires who are all like tech billionaires and they will actually want to save the planet and do good. And like they're all come they, – yeah, they made their billions but they, they have values and morals and they are responsible. And, well, guess what? I guess not. I guess there's a bunch of <laughs> shitty billionaires still. And there is. Although, you know what? Like, I'm not the biggest uh, Mark Zuckerberg fan, but my God, like, over the past couple of weeks, the news that has been out around him, too, right? His, the, what, the foundation with his wife, billions of dollars committed towards, you know, solving diseases. And what's really interesting, too, is Facebook's push towards getting people registered to vote. So, right. no matter, like, the shitty $10,000 Palmer Lucky gave to this group, uh, overall, Facebook, which owns Oculus, um, is, I think, 
at least trying to to promote normal uh, a healthy democracy it seems yeah all right well thanks for sharing your thoughts jeff really appreciate it oh i'm sure i'll get i'm sure i'll regret it with all the <laughs> feedback okay. that i'll get see you speak the truth jeff and you're not afraid of it it's way well, to live i try this is Acast recommends every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love who exploded vivian stone was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wing cut. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.